I'm really happy to see you all. My heart lives when I see you. And it would be wonderful to be in the same space, but we really still can know that we share an intention and a practice, and we can bring the attention to our experience. And you can still hear me. And um, right before I got online, I received an email from somebody who was really quite upset that I talked about a movie last week. And this week seemed to be headed towards talking about Thanksgiving. <laughs> It was, but it, it's important to remember that this practice that we're doing, this work of coming home to presence, isn't the property of one particular tradition or philosophy or time. It's not something remote from us. It's something that belongs to us as a potential. And our wish to become real, to become whole, it's something that comes up in all our stories, our great films, that is a layer of meaning that exists even in holidays and might seem irrelevant especially this year. That there's a truth that we seek that isn't something we can think. It's something that we open to. Something that we participate in. So, and nonetheless, this year brings in this country Thanksgiving. And many of us are, are not traveling. We're not going to be um, going away and being with family. Certainly, I'm not. Um, it's a different kind of year. But it is an opportunity to explore an attitude that was part of the practice of the first people who lived in this country. And I know I'm from northern New York, which is um, the home of the Mohawk people who knew themselves as the keeper of the Eastern Door, the Mohawk, part of the great Iroquois Confederation. And it can seem like a kind of affectation to um, remember the people who lived on the land before, like the area around New York, it's Lenape Indian, where I'm from, Mohawk. But they had in common a practice of giving thanks. And the Mohawk people, I'm not going to recite the whole thing because it would take a day, which they would do. 
but they would gather together to bear witness to the cycle of life as it continued. And they would give thanks to all the different parts of life that they could see, the moon and the stars and the waters and the trees and the plants and the great spirit. And this giving of thanks was a way of them, of their waking up, remembering, remembering to notice that we're not alone. Remembering to notice that we live in a state of interconnection. We're not separate, although it feels that way. Though, of course, many of us are related to European settlers. And um, I risk mentioning in my little dispatch this week that I, I got an email last week from the, uh, from the Mayflower Society. <laughs> Um, giving me the wonderful reminder that I'm descended from a passenger on the Mayflower. Yay! Um, you know, the first wave of colonization and genocide. Hooray! Um, and um, with a particular name of a person who was known mostly for washing overboard and grabbing a rope and then being hauled back on the ship where he survived to marry a kind of child bride and have 10 children and 80 grandchildren. And um, it's astonishing to realize that you immediately think of like this kind of small club of people who wear cardigan sweaters and drink highballs but there are actually two million descendants of this passenger and 35 million descendants of all the passengers on board. 35 million, not all wearing cardigans and drinking eyeballs. Anyway, this first Thanksgiving, which was, this is the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the Mayflower to America. This event they called Thanksgiving allegedly happened in 1621, but it wasn't a feast according to the Wampanoag tribe in the way it's celebrated today. There was no turkey. There was no green bean casserole. There was no sweet potato casserole with tiny mushrooms on top. No pumpkin pie, nothing like that. What really happened is that the pilgrims were shooting their muskets off. This according to the Indians, celebrating their survival. And that is half of the people. 51 people who survived, 102 who transported. What does this have to do with the Dharma? The Indians came over, 
to see what was happening, to make sure the war wasn't breaking out. And they interacted with them and they foraged with them and they shared food and taught them how to hunt and various things. What's relevant are several facts that First of all, this attitude of giving thanks, of thanksgiving, was something that was preserved until this day. This attitude of bearing witness, of sitting down, settling down, opening up, giving yourself permission to remember that you're not alone, that you're supported by life. You're open to it, you're porous to it. Air is coming in, impressions are coming in. There's a presence that we share and that each one of us has within us as, as Thich Nhat Hanh would put it, the seeds of both wisdom and ignorance, the seeds of compassion and cruelty. And I would add the DNA of oppressor and oppressed. Every one of us, I looked up Charlemagne who, by some counts, and I know it sounds incredible, has a trillion descendants. Basically, everyone with European heritage is descended from Charlemagne. You know, which puts my pilgrim ancestor to shame. But it's another way of understanding and remembering that this practice is not something that comes from a book or a single teaching. This practice is an invitation for you to open to a potential that came to you with life itself. You're not just full of the DNA of Charlemagne or King David or the original Mayflower passengers, but of stars and planets. The Indians, in fact, include among their ancestors the buffalo. They feel literally related to the animal that supported and sustained them. And our practice of awakening is awakening to our full legacy, our full possibility, our relationship to the whole of life. And the other thing that is so, such a balm to remember and such an inspiration is that the great enlightened masters in the Buddhist tradition do not think of the present moment as a tiny little slice of time. 
between now and a minute from now. They think of it as including past and present and future. When we awaken, when we soften, and when we open, we don't just open to the cup of tea in our hand, but to the distant past, to our ancestors, and to the future. So that we're not static characters, separate from the rest of life or from our ancestors. There is healing that can take place every time we open. Every time we open. We open to the possibility that we can heal the past. The word heal in English comes from a root that means to make whole. It doesn't mean to be unscarred. It means to enter into life again, into light and warmth. It means to bear witness. And again, I emphasize before we said that this is a practice of moments. I'm not inviting us to re-traumatize ourselves or you know, to, to open permanently, but to just to see that for a moment, we can let down our guard. For a moment, we can be at ease in our life. And for a moment, we can trust a little bit that this work of attention, of presence, that we're drawn to undertake together is something that helps not just us, but those whom we come in touch with, and not just those whom we come in touch with, but those who have lived before and those who are yet to come. Because I know not, that might sound to you far-fetched, but I'm suggesting that to be open to being truly present, to be, to have presence, is something that makes us part of another kind of movement, another kind of influence. And that this current, this vibration, this influence, call it what we, you will, has a power to heal, even wounds that seem completely beyond us. So let's sit together and we take a comfortable seat. And just notice how it feels. And this may be the most important part of the practice. 
to let yourself be welcome here under the gaze of your own attention. Notice how it feels to be completely okay, being completely you, as you are today. You might be sleepy, you might be restless, you might not like the talk. Let everything be just like that. And notice how it feels to take everything that's happening as nature, just nature. Noticing that the mind likes to think it wants to be entertained. And that's perfectly natural. And the body feels like this tonight, whatever this is. And that's natural. And the feelings, you know, may not know what they are. Or you may have a strong feeling of sorrow or joy. Whatever it is, let it just be nature. And notice that there's an attention that can be with what's happening without thinking about it. And notice how when your thoughts start to Take hold of you. You can notice this with no judgment. Gently come back again to sensation. To the sensation of sitting here in a body. Just seeing. And notice that as we do this, a presence begins to appear. An energy, a vibration sometimes.
Notice that you can come back anytime. Back to presence. Back to sensation. Back to an awareness that sees without thinking, without judging even our judgments. Including everything. Coming home to sensation, we also open to an attention that sees. Noticing that this simple movement of return, of coming home to sensation, opens you. opens you to a stillness that's inside and also outside.
notice that there's a presence here that we share. When you feel lost in thought, just come home and just sink into sensation, into the feet on the floor, the hips and the shoulders. Just let go into sensation. Notice that everything can be seen. Aversion can be seen. Craving can be seen. Delusion, confusion can be seen. And acceptance.
noticing that you're not alone, that the body waits for you. Part of life that you are responsive moment by moment to breath and temperature and impressions and sounds. Notice that within sensation, there are feelings, not our usual emotions, but a wish to be here.
Notice that you can rest in awareness, in sensation. And this opens us to receive instead of grasping. Just opening. Noticing how it feels to be seen and accepted. See how it feels to be at ease with stillness. To allow yourself to be, just be, just like this.
no matter what is happening inside you, you can make this movement of return to sensation. You can have this intention to come home and be supported by an attention that isn't thinking. Supported by life. Um, and I just want to um, emphasize that if this doesn't make any sense or some of it doesn't make sense or you, it's baffling to you, that is actually a very good sign. Because we're here not to follow someone else, but to... Because something draws us to be here. Something draws us to something beyond what we know. And none of the words might make any sense to you. But what does make sense is this wish and intention to show up and to bring the attention to sensation and to open whatever that means, that there's something in you that's seeking an opening to another kind of awareness that's not out there somewhere, but something very close, something that's yours. So when you come here, honor that impulse, that intention, and that practice. And then you don't have to worry what comes out of my mouth at all. <laughs> Never mind. But 
I welcome your questions and observations about the practice um, or Thanksgiving, um, if you have one. It was a, it was, it was a wonderful practice. Um, the meditation was very deep. I, um, you know, I still stick with my mantra-based meditation, and there's the realization that, um, or, or a belief that the attention cannot be in two places at the same time. Either it's on the mantra or it's on something else. And yet I felt like there was this incredible um, connection of just looking out and briefly and just seeing all the different images that were there, the multifarious kind of faces of the screens and then the sound of your voice. There was one thing in particular that, that, that really struck me that where it was about not grasping, but just receiving. And it was so poignant because it was exactly what I needed in that moment to just let go. And I just went deeper and deeper into that. And perhaps maybe that's an example of attention being open so that it's not really all about the mantra, but this all inclusiveness that happens with the sound of your voice, what I see around me. And for that, I just have that trace to be just so, so, uh, so thankful for, and just very thankful that, that it started out with my reading your article about William Siegel, about this person who just, you know, that you had a presence that you, that you met with. And, you know, I just want to learn more about him and just having that, you know, I want to be like him. And I felt like there was even a connection to, you know, you talked about someone who's gone, who died, you know, 15 years ago. And there was this, connection with that too. I just there just just incredible gratitude. I just want you to know that. Yeah. Well thank you, Arlie. That's very generous. And um, you know, for the rest of us, um, mantra if you have mantra practice, that's fine, beautiful, do it. Um, in this practice coming home to sensation is takes the place of a mantra practice. It's a concentration practice, Madi. But as you observed that we come home and we settle down and we open up and we begin to remember that we're not just conscious with our heads, but also with our feelings, with our bodies, that there's a kind of ambient, an ambient attention that we have sometimes when we're relaxed. When we're at ease and we just feel good and we're cultivating a capacity to have in every circumstance. So yeah, we can be attentive in more than one way. And it's true that when we open up, we can feel love sometimes, real love for people and beings who aren't here anymore. And we can give our presence to them, our compassion. 
And for me, though, not to loop back to the pilgrims, but I just can't help myself <laughs> being a pilgrim. <laughs> the whole lesson is to learn to receive what's being freely offered moment by moment that we don't have to take by force. That there is an invitation at moments to live in a way where we're not so defended, but that we can just open to receive and be received. Just to taste that in moments really begin to open and change our experience of life. Even in cases of great pain, when we have, we have suffered loss and we have areas that really hurt, here the practices not to try to change anything, but to notice what the Buddhists would call the three poisons of aversion or grasping or delusion. So up comes sorrow or some great pain or some impulse to hide. And we can see our tendency is to want to hurry past that or this aversion. Oh, now I wish this wasn't happening. I was having such a good time and now this. Or I was so still and then she had to speak. You know, something comes up and it spoils everything. But to just notice that aversion or to notice that clinging. I want to hold on to this state or to notice our delusion, which you can sense sometimes. We'll just feel so dense and we want to be. And, and then just to gently begin to see that just noticing that, the aversion or the greed or the delusion begins to soften us up and open us. Not changing anything, but opening. Does that make sense? Sometimes think that these bad times um uh, are kind of proof how tied up we all are with one another. Because even if you're not in your personal, if you're not sick and you're not, and somebody you love isn't dying and you're not unemployed, we still, I think, all feel the, the general suffering that's going on around us. Um, without there to be any, re there's no reason, there's no immediate concrete reason to feel it except that we just do because we're yeah. we're, all, we're all part of the same organism or something yeah 
I think that's a powerful point. It's, uh, it's so much this practice is noticing what's always there to be noticed. And we do feel, we do feel what's happening. The, and and it, it begins to be that, you know, obvious to us. It's like something we share, like if other people are suffering, in a sense, we share their suffering. And that's when it becomes really meaningful and practical that when we do this practice, we're not just checking out and taking, you know, never mind everybody else, but that we're, we're touching another kind of current or vibration or awareness that could actually be helpful for others. And, you know, it, and it really is practice of moments that it's, it's remarkable to have a moment when you're just really open to receive somebody else's presence or their story. And it can't last very long, but we have a taste of something extraordinary that we could be in communion with other people. And, and so we try again. And it's also equally remarkable to realize in a moment of sitting that we can have that connection with ourselves. That parts of ourselves that have been locked away or in pain and put away, put apart. It's something that we can actually hold with compassion for a moment, understanding, no rejection. And we can feel something shift and start to kind of melt and come back to life. So let's dedicate our practice. We're together. We're together in this. We put two hands together in our heart space like people from the very beginning. And we dedicate our practice and our wish to awaken. Not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of all beings in every world, all people all plants, all animals. And we offer them the wish, including ourselves, may we all be safe and protected from harm and danger. May we all be able to thrive, be free from oppression. May we live in harmony and peace. May we know our true potential. May we awaken and be completely free.
Thank you, everybody. I'm so grateful for your presence, and I want to thank all of you who have also given donations. I'm so pleased now how touched I am and how much I appreciate you. And by whatever means, with cards and notes, I really am. If you knew how touched I was, it would embarrass you. I love you, and I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and stay safe.